Let's pray before we're seated. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you, Father, for Christmas. December is here. Let our hearts rejoice in the reason for the season. You coming into this world to make a way for us to get back to the Father, to be in fellowship and communion with him, to love him with all of our hearts, to be in a right relationship, Lord. We love you and we thank you for that, Lord. And we're going to celebrate that all month as we celebrate the treasure of Christmas. So, Lord, be with us now. Anoint me by your Holy Spirit to uh, teach the word, to bring instruction, to bring explanation, to bring application, and, Lord, to bring it to our hearts today. Not Not my will, not my words, but by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' awesome and powerful name I pray, amen. Amen, you may have a seat. Great to see everyone this morning. Thankful that you're here at Calvary Chapel Irmo. Thankful that you've decided to join us and give me, Pastor David, the opportunity to share the word with you because I love the Bible. I love the word of God. It, it, it flows through my veins. I, I can't wait to teach it every Sunday. I can't wait to come on Wednesday nights and Listen to some amazing men of God we have in this church teach the word. I love to get into the word. Amen? Amen. So the title of my message this morning is, we're taking a break. We just finished our 14-month journey through the Gospel of Matthew. We're taking a break for the month of December. I'm going to bring to you some Christmas messages. And then come January, or whatever Sunday falls after Christmas, we're going to start our journey through the book of Acts. Okay? So this month... We're, uh, the, uh, the theme of the month is the treasure of Christmas. I want to I teach on the, the treasure of Christmas. And the title of today's message is The Treasure of Christmas Adopted into God's Family. Adopted into God's Family. So that's the theme of this morning's message, adoption into God's family. And I want to go ahead and give you my thesis of, of my teaching this morning up front So as we teach through this, you'll see where I'm going. The thesis of my sermon this morning is, the treasure of Christmas is this. One, you have been adopted into God's family. Two, you have been made a joint heir with Jesus in God's kingdom. And we're going to explain that in my teaching this morning, what it means to be a joint heir. And number three, you have been freed from the bondage of fear. Amen? It's called the treasure of Christmas. Christmas is a treasure treasure trove. It's more than just mangers in the yards and good deals at Walmart, okay? It's about the true meaning of Christmas, the true treasure of Christmas. And I'm going to tell you right now, God has a whole lot more to offer in the treasure of Christmas than this world could ever offer, okay? So this is what we're looking at this morning, the treasure of Christmas. So the text I've chosen this morning that I want to unpack with you is Galatians chapter 4. So please turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4, and I'm going to unpack verses 1 through 7, verse-by-verse style, and we're going to dive into this, the treasure of heaven. So Galatians chapter 4, we'll start at verse 1. Lord, thank you again for your word. As we study it, open our hearts. By the power of your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7 this morning. Verse 1 says, Now I say, as long as the 
heir is a child. He does not differ at all from a slave, although he is an owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. Now the apostle Paul here is using an illustration. He's given the illustration of a child not receiving their inheritance until, what does the text say? A date set by the father, okay? And in the meantime, it says that the child is under guardian until this appointed date set by the father. That's verses one and two. Now look at verse three. So also we, okay, that's a very important phrase there in verse three. So also we. Paul, what Paul is saying here is he is applying what is said in verses one and two to you and I. And it says in verse three, so also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of this world. So you and I, like ancient Israel, we are, we, are, we were, if, if we, we were if you're in Christ, you are if you're not in Christ, You've been, you are held in bondage to, what does verse 3 say? The elemental things of the world. And of course he's talking about before Christ. Before Christ. If you have come to Jesus Christ, you have been liberated. You have been set free. But if you're not in Christ, you're held in bondage. So what are the elemental things of this world in verse 3? What is the stoihia cosmos that he's talking about here? This, this phrase is used multiple times in Scripture. I'm going to share all the, the couple times it's mentioned to you with you. And scholars are really divided on its interpretation. And I'm going to give you all three, and I'm going to apply all three ways that this phrase, uh, elemental things of this world, is interpreted. So what is the elemental things of this world that man is held in bondage? You know what bondage is? Bondage is when you can't move. It's when you're incarcerated. It's when, it's when you are not in control of yourselves, but someone else is. And that is the way it is before we come to Christ. We are held in bondage. We are not in control of ourselves. Things of this world are in control of us until we surrender our life to Christ. So what is the elemental things of this world? Look down at verse 8. Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. He uses it here and he uses it in Colossians. I'm going to read both passages to you. Galatians 4, 8 through 10 says, However, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things same Greek word is used here, Strong's 4747, the, the elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again. You observe days and months and seasons and years. So Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, whatever these elemental things are, we haven't got to that yet. It says a couple things. First, it says they enslave people. They hold people in bondage. And also in verse 9, he says, they are weak and worthless. The, these things of the world that we're going to get to in a minute, they are weak and worthless in our lives. There's no value in them, and they're pathetic. 
Then in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, the apostle uses the same word again. And I'm going to read it to you. It should be up on the screen. Colossians 2, 8. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men, according to it, here it is, Strong's 47:47, to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. So Colossians 2.8 tells us these elementary, elemental things of the world, they are philosophical, they are empty, they are, de- they are deceitful, and they come from the traditions of men, Colossians 2.8. So the answer, what are the elemental things of this world? The elemental things of this world that mankind is held in bondage to, that you were held in bondage to before you came to Christ, are anything that holds you in bondage before coming to fully know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It is out of these that God has adopted us, and it is out of these that he brings us into his family. Now, it can be worldly, but you ready for this? It can be religious also. It can be religious and it can be worldly. As he alluded to back at Galatians chapter 4 verse 10 when he says, you observe the days and months and seasons of years. So the elemental things of the world based on Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 and Galatians chapter 4 verses 8 through 10, four of them. Number one, humanistic philosophies. Humanistic philosophies. What are some humanistic philosophies? Atheism. Atheism. Humanism. Humanism, any philosophy of life that is not centered on Christ, okay? Any philosophical thought, any philosophical way of life that is not grounded in the Word of God, that is not grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ, is humanistic. Think about the word humanistic philosophy, philosophy based on human thought rather than on the Word of God. It holds people in bondage. It holds people in bondage. It keeps them from coming to know Christ. And God wants to adopt people out of that way of thinking into the kingdom of God. Number two, pagan religion. Pagan religion. Pagan religion, it celebrates sin. It celebrates debauchery. It encourages sexual immorality. It says, express yourself. Live any way you want to. You can believe in God and live any way you want to. That is paganism. That is pagan religion. And that is an elemental thing of this world. Religious tradition. Okay, now we're getting close. Now, now, we're, now we're dialing it in. To where a lot of us came out of. Religious tradition is anything that takes the place of Christ. I have a lot of spiritual conversations with people throughout the week as a pastor. I'm sure many of you know. And sometimes we'll get to talking about salvation and we'll get to talking about faith in Christ. And, and I'll ask people, you know, are you born again? And sometimes people say, well, yeah, I'm a Baptist. Well, I'm, that's good that you're a Baptist, but are you born again? Well, I'm a Presbyterian. That's good that you're a Presbyterian. Are you born again? I, I'm a Pentecostal. That's good that you're a Pentecostal, but are you born again? I'm a Calvary Chapel guy. I'm a Calvary Chapel person. That's good that you're, you go to Calvary Chapel, but are you born again? See, there's a tendency, there's a temptation in our life, in our walk, to cling to even our church affiliation. 
rather than on the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I'm so thankful that you come to Calvary Chapel. I'm thankful for my Baptist brothers. I'm thankful for my Pentecostal brothers. I'm thankful for my Presbyterian brothers. But the bottom line it comes down to is are you trusting in Jesus Christ? And even our denominational affiliations can stand in the way. Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men. Again, praise the Lord for denominations. Praise the Lord for Charismatics and Presbyterians and, and Baptists and, and all the other. You know, they're just different flavors, and, and, they're, and they're all brothers and sisters in Christ. But we can't cling to that. We've got to cling to the substance, which is Jesus. Okay. Fourth one, I said humanistic philosophy, pagan religion, religious tradition. And then you've you got to consider the context. Why did the Apostle Paul wrote, wrote the book of Galatians? The Apostle Paul, in his missionary journeys, he went throughout, uh, in the book of Acts, he went to Iconium, Lystra, Derby, and he established the gospel, okay? He was preaching the gospel, establishing the church. There were these people coming behind him called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers were coming behind the Paul, and they were wrecking the church. They were, t- they were coming behind Paul, and they were telling the people, okay, you want to believe in Jesus? Great, believe in Jesus, but you also got to keep the law. You want to believe in Jesus? Fine. But you also got to be circumcised. You want to believe in Jesus? Fine. But you also got to observe the Sabbath. Okay? And what they were doing is they were adding law to grace. And Paul says in Galatians, somewhere around chapter 2, around verses 15 to 17, he says, by the works of the law, uh, by, by the works of the law, no man will be justified. Okay? We are not justified even by the works of the law but we're, we're justified by faith, okay? So the elemental things of the world for the strict Jew would be clinging to the law rather than clinging to Christ. <laughs> clinging to Christ, excuse me, ran out of breath there. Had to suck in some air. Um, so yeah, those are the elemental things of the world. God wants you to cling to Christ. And friend, if you hold to any philosophy, if you, if you hold to any way of thinking that is outside of faith uh, in Christ for salvation and life, you're in bondage. You're in bondage. You're in bondage to the elemental things of the world. And what God wants to do in your heart is he wants to adopt you. Think about the process of adoption when a family brings a child into their family. A lot of times they'll bring the child out of a really bad situation a very detrimental situation and they bring him into the family and they love them and they care for them and they nurture them back to life and they give them good health God wants to do the same thing he wants to take you out of humanistic philosophies pagan religion, religious tradition and legalism and he wants to bring you into a fresh and living relationship with Christ that's what it means to be adopted into God's family to adopt you out of these so pastor David what did God do so that I could be adopted out of those elemental things of the world what did God do for us to make that happen look at the very next verse verse 4 but when the fullness of time came God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, is Christmas in a nutshell. Have you noticed that? You know, we, we look at the gospel of Matthew, we look at the gospel of Luke, and we look at John, and we see the birth of Jesus and the incarnation of Christ. 
But here, this verse, this is called Christmas in Galatians. This is called Christmas in Galatians. I want to break verse 4 down into four parts and teach on all four parts very briefly. So let's take a look at them. The first part of verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time came. Christmas is about the fulfillment of God's promise. That's what Christmas is about. It's not about good deals, and it's not about lights on our house, which I like both. But it's about the fulfillment of God's promise. At the exact appointed time set by the Father, Jesus entered our world. It was not by chance. It was not by coincidence. His birth was executed by the sovereign plan of God with precision. With precision. The sovereign ruler and creator of the universe He looked over to his son, Jesus, and said, Jesus, it's showtime. I'm sending you to the earth. Prior to his birth, God told Israel, my son is coming. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son. You shall call his name Emmanuel. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephraim, To you, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His going forth from long ago, from the days of eternity. God told Israel, my son is coming. He made a promise to Israel. It was a promise kept. As God sent his son into the world at the fullness of time, at the appointed time is when Jesus came into this world. Part two, of second part of, uh, of, verse, of this verse says, look at it, God sent forth his son. God sent forth his son is the second part of the verse. Notice the grammatical structure of the verse. Look at it closely. It is two nouns separated by a, by a verb. God sent forth his son. Look at, think about that, family. That speaks of the Trinity. That speaks of the Trinity, that the Father sent the son. We can't skip over that. We've got to see that, that Trinitarian language, that Trinitarian theology right here in verse 4. And we see this throughout all the scripture. We've got three verses I want to show you. This is the Apostle Paul's inspired writing. Look at what John said in 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. He uses the exact same grammatical structure. He says, by this, the love of God was manifested in us. That Here it is. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. 1 John 4, 10. He, the Father, sent, that verb, his Son, to be the propitiation for our sin. 1 John 4, 14, for the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. You know who the very first missionary was in our world? Jesus. Jesus was the very first missionary, not sent out by the church, but sent by God the Father to come down to this world and reveal his plan to reveal himself to you and me. The Father sent the very first missionary. God sent forth his son. Third part of the verse says, born 
of a woman. Again, this is Christmas in Galatians. This speaks of, this speaks of Mary. Nowhere in Scripture <clears throat> does Mary elicit prayers or exaltation. Uh, that, that you will find that nowhere in the Bible. What you will find in the Bible concerning Mary is this. She was a humble servant of God. She was a humble servant of God. Let her speak for herself. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 and 47. She says this, straight from the words of Mary, My soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my what? My Savior. Even humble Mary knew that she needed a Savior. She was a sinner, just like you and me. And she had God in her arms, cradled in her arms at the incarnation. She had Christ. Do you know what the very, we, by the way, uh, we need to listen to Mary. We, we need to take heed to her words. Do you know what the very last words said by Mary in the Gospels are? In all of history, in all of Scripture, the very last recorded words of Mary come in the Gospel of John when she tells the, the servants at the wedding of Cana, at the wedding of Cana, she, she says to the servants, she says, whatever Jesus says, do it. We need to listen to Mary. And those are the last recorded words. Mary would tell us, family, do whatever Jesus says, do. She was a humble servant. And then the third part, the fourth part, excuse me, of, of verse 4 says, born under the law. Born under the law. That's a huge statement right there. Israel, along with Mary, prior to Christ, they were kept under the law. They were kept under the law. God governed Israel through the law and through his prophets. God's moral law showed Israel his high standard and their inability to keep it. The law's purpose was to point them to Jesus Messiah. The law's purpose was to show them. It was a schoolmaster. It was to, to show them their complete inability to keep God's law, to show them their sin, and to point them to the Messiah who was to come. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. This here, again, Galatians 3, 24, this is where the Apostle Paul takes what was written and he applies it to you and me. Look at Galatians 3.24. Therefore the law has become whose tutor? It's become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. What law is he talking about that leads us to faith in Christ? He's not talking about the ceremonial law. He's not talking about the civil law. You will not see them nowhere in the New Testament. But what he is talking about is the moral law of God. God's moral law showed Mary, Israel, and Galatians 3.24, you and I, our sin and our need for a Savior. You see, the moral law of God, it leaves us guilty. It leaves us helpless. And it condemns us. It points its finger at us. It says, you have broken God's law. And friends and family, you, I'm just being straight off the cuff here, you are not ready for grace until you have seen yourself under the just 
condemnation of the law. What does the law do? The moral law of God, it shuts the mouth of justification. It it shuts our reasoning. When we look at God's moral law and we ask ourselves, have we kept the law? I've looked at all ten of the Ten Commandments, and Pastor David is guilty of all ten. You say, Pastor David, you've murdered someone? You, you, You violated the Sixth Commandment? I haven't physically killed someone, but Jesus said this, he who hates his brother without cause is guilty of murder. Uh, The seventh commandment says, you shall not commit adultery. But Jesus said, he who looks with lustful thoughts commits adultery in, in, in his heart. If we're honest with ourselves and we look at God's moral law, we will see that we are, as the law says, sinners. We're sinners. We're guilty. God's law, the moral law, the Ten Commandments, it crushes our pride. It strips us of self-righteousness. And here's the beautiful thing. The law is beautiful and glorious because what it does is it prepares your heart for grace. And it prepares your heart for the good news. You know, we like to call the gospel of Christ good news. And it is good news. But it's only good news if there's a comparison to something being bad news. You've got, to understand, you've got to understand the bad news that we are guilty. We are damned. We are under God's judgment by breaking his law. And it crushes us. It humbles us. But then all of a sudden, we see the cross. And we say, oh, how beautiful, how glorious is the cross. It is truly good news once you've looked at yourself in light of the law. Uh, Israel was under the law. Mary is under the law. And this world is under the law until they come to faith in Christ Jesus. And once you come to faith in Christ Jesus, you are no longer under the law, but you are under grace. You are under God's grace because God's grace forgives, redeems. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us and causes us to grow. Adoption, verse, let's continue, verse 5. So that he might redeem those who were under the law. There it is, verse 5. That's, so that he might redeem those who were under the law. God's Christmas gift to you is redemption. Redemption. In the ancient world, redemption meant to go to the slave market and to purchase someone out of slavery with the intent to set them free. Jesus stepped into the slave market of this world and redeemed you and set you free. He's redeemed you. He's purchased you out of darkness. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature, creation. He's given you new life by this process of redeeming. That word redeeming is a word of being purchased, being purchased. How were you purchased? By the precious blood of the Lamb the Lord Jesus Christ. He's washed you and he's purchased you out of darkness. This is huge, family. This is huge when you think about it. From the dungeon to the dining room, from imprisonment to inheritance, from the bondage of darkness to his truth and light. God is saying, Merry Christmas! Through Christ. Why would somebody run from this? Why would somebody reject this? It's beautiful. It melts your heart. It gives you joy. 
to see what God has done for us in Christ. And then, okay, that was the first half. That was the first half of verse 5. Second half of verse 5 says that we might receive the adoption as sons. There it is, that word adoption, the treasure of Christmas, God adopting you into the family. Prior to adoption, children without parents, it's a very difficult situation. It's very heart-wrenching. Their hearts are filled with anxiety, uncertainty, fear of the future. Hearts are filled with shame, disillusionment, and confusion. It's a very hard process to watch. But friends and family, that was you and I also before salvation. That was you and I before we came to Christ. We were, we were living in guilt. We were living in shame. We were fearful of death. Man, I used to, before Christ, I, I feared death. I was like, oh, what happens? I'm going to be gone for a long time. And I remember going to my grandmother's church and hearing the gospel preach. I didn't respond. I didn't get saved. I just sat there and listened. I already had my mind on things after church. But what I heard in that gospel presentation, it stayed with me throughout my youth. It stayed with me throughout my teenage years and into my early 20s. But I hadn't accepted Christ, therefore I was fearful. Stay away from airplanes. Drive very safely. Don't want to do anything that would cause me to step into eternity because I knew I wasn't ready. I knew I wasn't ready. And it was a fearful thing. But God. <laughs> but God shows up in our life. God showed up in my life uh, April of 1992. He showed up in my life. He adopted me. He took me into his family. He took you into his family and made us sons and daughters of the Most High God through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And even in that adoption process, he gave us a new name that we did not previously have. That name, it gets thrown around too much in today's culture. But the, 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 the new name he gives us is Christian. A follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a political statement. It's not an ideological statement. It's not a philosophical statement. A true Christian is someone who has received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they have committed their life to following Christ. And he's given us a new name, a Christian. This adoption, it brings intimacy. This adoptive process where God brings you into his family, it brings intimacy with God. Look at the next verse, verse 6. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That word, Abba, Father, man, it's just a, a term of endearment. It's a, ter it's a term of communion. It's a term of intimacy. It's when a son or a daughter looks at their daddy and says, Daddy, Father, you're amazing. Not, Dad. Or father, it's dad, I love you. Father, you're the best. It brings this heartfelt commitment to Christ and to God the Father when we are adopted 
into his family. He claims you and calls you his own. And it causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. He fills you with the Holy Spirit. There's this empty void inside a person before they get saved and is filled with the guilt and the shame of their past and their sin. And what God does at salvation is he washes all that guilt. He washes out all that shame and he fills that inner person with his Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit dwelling inside the believer, it brings intimacy. It brings a love for Jesus, not just a mental assent to truth, but a love and a devotion to Christ that just overwhelms us. The Spirit brings intimacy and thinking about the, uh, the, the adoption of a child. By the way, I was adopted. I, uh, my, I, I live with my biological um, mother, but my stepfather adopted me, and he gave me his name, and he loved me for the rest of our life, and we had an amazing, awesome relationship. And, but he gave me his name, and he overwhelmed me with love in, in those years and throughout my whole life to show his love and commitment to me. And that's what the God, the Father, that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He welcomes us into the family. He overwhelms you in his love, and he makes your heart his home. That is the true treasure of Christmas. It's this, this adoptive process where he brings us into the family. Let's get our final verse this morning, verse 7. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's cut this verse in half. First half of verse 7 says, Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. Friends and family, if you're in Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus, you are no longer a slave. You are no longer a slave. No, what am I no longer a slave to you, Pastor David? You are no longer a slave to sin and the dominion of Satan. You have been brought out of darkness and into his glorious light. You are no longer a slave to the just condemnation of the law. Yeah, we're guilty. We're all guilty of breaking God's law. And, and, and we're justly and rightly condemned because of our sin and our rebellion. But through this adoptive process, being no longer a slave, you are no longer a slave to that just condemnation of the law. Why? Because Jesus paid the price for you at the cross. He died in your place, taking on the wrath of God, taking on the punishment for your sin because he loved you that much. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You're no longer a slave to the pagan religions of this world, okay? They're a lie. They're false. They're not true. They want to deceive you. They want to snuff your life out. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. So we're no longer a slave to, to the pagan religions of this world. We're no longer a slave to the fear of man. We're no longer a slave to what man can do to us. Persecution, anger, whatever it is, whatever man tries to bring against us, 
We are no longer a slave because our eyes are not on man. Our eyes are on the Lord Jesus Christ. You are no longer a slave because you, friends and family, are a son or daughter of the Most High God. You're no longer a slave but a son or a daughter. The second half of verse 7, and if a son, I love this, and if a son, then an heir, H-E-I-R, an heir through God. Through God's adoption, God bringing you in the family, you are not a second-class citizen. You, you are not a second-class person. You are not a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. You are, according to Scripture, you are a joint heir, a joint heir with Jesus in his kingdom. How awesome is that? How amazing is that? Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 16 through 17, it uses the phrase that this joint heir with Jesus It says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. We talked about that a while ago. And if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and, look at it, fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. When you are committed, when you are born again and you are committed to following Christ with all your heart, come hell or high water, come no matter what this world throws at you, you're even committed to suffer with him if need be because of your faith in him. He says here, you are a joint heir. Being a joint heir means that everything the Father has given the Son in his kingdom belongs to you as well. It belongs to you as well. You are a co-heir with Christ in the kingdom of God. That's pretty mind-blowing. And I had to really think about this statement before I said it this morning because we're, it says we're co-heirs and Jesus being the second member of the Trinity, the, the eternal Son, being God Almighty. But the scripture says that we're, we're co-heirs with Christ. Um, as co-heirs and, and joint heirs with Christ, we are given the fullness of the Holy Spirit. God has completely sealed you and filled you with his Holy Spirit. As a joint heir, you are completely covered in the righteousness of Christ. As a joint heir, you are his royalty. You know, I'll never forget when my, my dad adopted me. Everywhere he went, this is my son, this is my son this is my son. And he even gave me a plaque that still sits in my office to this day talking about him giving me his name. Well, God the Father, uh, my father giving me his name and how proud he was of me. God the Father looks at us and he says to the world, these are my sons and daughters. These are my children. These are the ones I love. These are the ones who put their trust in me. Joint heir, second half of verse 7. You will reign as co-heirs with Christ in his future millennial kingdom. When Jesus Christ comes back to this world and after the the seven-year great tribulation, uh, there's going to be a thousand-year millennial reign uh, of Christ here on the earth, his kingdom. 
It's not going to be a democracy. It's going to be a theocracy. He's going to rule and reign. And he says to us Christians that we are going to rule and reign with him in this kingdom. What are we going to be doing? I'm not exactly sure. But he says we're going to be ruling and reigning with him. How beautiful is that? That Jesus says, come, follow me. I'll give you a new life. I'll give you a new heart. I'll adopt you into my kingdom. I'll fill you with my Holy Spirit. I'll forgive you of all your sins. I'll give you all these blessings. Oh, but by the way, you're going to rule and reign with me too on, this, on the new heavens and the new earth. And this inheritance as an heir um, is a result of one thing, the grace of God. You didn't do anything to earn it. You, you, didn't, you didn't do nothing. The only thing that you brought to the table for your salvation was your sin. And God brought it all. He brought you through the treasures of heaven. He brought you adoption. He says, come, partake of the wonderful and beautiful treasures of Christmas. The beautiful treasures of heaven. They are yours. I will adopt you. I will give you a new name. I will give you a new heart as you come and you live for me. So in closing, the true treasure of Christmas, I said this in my opening thesis, is the thing I want you to take home with you as you, as you contemplate Christmas this year is this. The true treasure of Christmas is, number one, you are adopted into God's family. You are adopted. He has brought you in. He's signed the court papers. He's, he's paid the price for you at Calvary. And he's brought you into the family of God. Friends and family, each and every one of us were under illegitimate spiritual parents of the philosophies of this world, of the paganism of this world, of the humanistic philosophies of this world. And the father says, I'm going to pull you out of that and I'm going to adopt you into my family. So you're adopted. Number two, you are a joint heir with Jesus in the kingdom of God. Friends and family, you're going to rule and reign. You're going to rule and reign with Christ in his kingdom. How amazing, how awesome is that? Put it this way, this is the worst it'll get. This is the worst it'll get in this life. The best is yet to come because you're going to rule and reign as a joint heir with Jesus in his kingdom. And number three, you are no longer a slave to anything except Jesus. Fill in the blank. The philosophies, the paganism, the politics, the ways of thinking, sin, evil, debauchery. You're no longer a slave. No longer a slave to the fear of man. What can man do to us? The worst they can do is kill us. And that ushers us into the presence of God. Every, they're, they're defeated. They're defeated. God offers us so much in Christianity, so much in his word. It just blows my mind. But the more we study it, the more we see the, the riches and the treasures of heaven, the more it will fill your heart and my heart with joy. Have you been adopted into God's family? 
God has signed the papers. He's made the offer available. He made the offer for you at a place called Calvary where he stretched out his arms and died on the cross. Are you under the illegitimate parents of the law? Do you see your need for a savior? Do you see yourself as a guilty sinner? Have you you broken God's law? Do you understand that? Do you understand that the law is pointing this ugly finger at you? Jesus is saying, come over here. Come to the cross, and I'll adopt you into the family of God. That's the invitation that God offers us all. If you haven't been adopted into his family, the Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's real, it's simple and difficult. It's simple in the fact that you repent of your sin and you turn to Jesus. It's difficult because sometimes letting go of the sin can be hard. But sin is, 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 is a, um, it brings bondage. Put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Open your heart. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. And let God adopt you into his family. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the treasure of Christmas that we've been adopted into the family through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that each and every believer this morning that you'll bring wonderful joy to their hearts knowing that they've been adopted, that they're a joint heir with Christ, and they've been freed from the bondage of fear. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray today that they will call upon you. They will ask you to come into their life They'll repent of their sins and trust in you, Jesus. In your awesome and powerful name I pray, amen.